Well, let's turn to Scripture, and uh, we are, uh, after a series on uh, the Christian life for the last few weeks, we're now resuming our series in Matthew's Gospel, and uh, we reached Matthew 24, and uh, we'll pick up what is uh, essentially a new section of teaching from the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, Matthew chapter 24, and as you'll see... uh, This is a chapter that's not without its uh, controversies. And uh, I look forward to your questions afterwards. (laughs) But uh, let's, uh, we're going to read the whole chapter, and I hope to take a mighty bite out of this today um, and go through the whole thing. So let us uh, read God's word together. I'll read and you listen. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. And he answered them, You see all these, do you you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another, and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand... Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down and take what is in his house. Let the one who is in the field not turn back and take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there it is, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead you astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. 
Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. From the fig tree learn this lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days the, uh, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware that until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in a field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day the Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is faithful, the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master's delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour that he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for uh, your word. And uh, though this passage is a difficult one and has many different interpretations, Lord, we pray you bring clarity as we study it together, uh, albeit from a high level. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we, we return to Matthew 20, Matthew's Gospel and pick up at 24. And um, as I said, you couldn't get a more controversial passage to start with. There are probably as many interpretations as there are Christians. And uh, it's difficult, uh, no question about it. And um, uh, you know, no doubt you will have questions afterwards. Uh, feel free to ask them. I can't guarantee I can answer every single one. But we'll do our best. But uh, as we get into this... Uh, chapter again. Let me uh, just recap a little uh, where we were. I think it was the end of May that we last looked at Matthew's Gospel, according to my records. And for the last three chapters, Jesus has been in the temple uh, in Jerusalem and uh, he has been answering questions from various groups of people um, about 
all kinds of issues, from Bible issues to theological issues to practical issues, and uh, Jesus has been answering them, uh, and he's been approached by Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and lawyers and, and all sorts of people, and um, he has been answering their questions, often not in ways that uh, they expected, and often Jesus uses it as an opportunity to, to raise an issue they haven't thought of before, and uh, so he controls what the, the conversation is about. Uh, he is in full control of this discussion. But then we, as we come to chapter 24, we find Jesus leaving the temple. And in verse 2, he says this earth-shattering thing. You see all these, do you not? Looking at the buildings. Uh, Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now the impact of that statement might not immediately strike us as being very important. Uh, We're kind of used to Jesus saying those those kinds of things. But in first century uh, Judea, in Jerusalem, that was a pretty staggering thing to say. Because you have this massive temple complex which Herod the Great had built uh, three decades before and uh, was massive and imposing and Jesus walks out and says all of this is going to be destroyed and not one stone is going to stand upon another. And you begin to think, well what about the promises of God? And the, the fact that God has promised that his name will be there in Jerusalem in this temple. So this is a pretty staggering thing uh, to say. Uh, If we were to say, this building is not going to stand for very much longer, it wouldn't matter, would it? We'd just go and meet somewhere else. It really doesn't matter where we meet. You know, this is just a shelter for us. You know, wherever we have a building, it's just a shelter keeping the rain and the sun off us. And that's all it is. But for these people, this was the place where God was. And the very center of the national life. And so, this is a staggering thing for him to say. Now, there doesn't seem to be very much uh, immediate discussion amongst the disciples about what Jesus has just said. You know, you drop a bombshell and everybody's silent for a, for a little while. And uh, they think, what enough has he said? What does that mean? And so they go out, following Jesus, and they cross the, across the valley... Uh, and go up to the Mount of Olives, and uh, you go up to the top of the Mount of Olives, I gather, I've never been, but you, know, you can look out and you can see the temple complex. And, uh, and you can look out at a wonderful view, looking westwards towards the temple. And then, so all those thoughts of Jesus' comments start coming back, and they begin to ask Jesus. And they ask this question, verse 3. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of the coming and the close of the age? And it's here that Jesus begins a a lengthy discourse on future events. And it's a discourse that stretches from the beginning of chapter 24 to the end of chapter 25. um, The so-called Olivet uh, Discourse. Now what was Jesus answer to those two questions uh, what, when will this happen and what will be the signs of the end of the age, by the way, uh, I think it's pretty certain that in the minds of the disciples those two things 
were closely connected to each other. The end of the age is going to come when the temple is destroyed. That's how they're thinking at this point. And so for them, it's a natural juxtaposition of two questions. So what is Jesus' answer to this? And if you look, you'll notice that the the answer that Jesus gives is not primarily about chronology, you know, sequence of events. His answer shows his deep concern that whatever happens, the disciples will not be led astray or will not be deceived by what's going to happen. Now we'll talk about, there is some chronological content to what he says, but his main concern is that disciples are not deceived. You see that there. Verse 4, Jesus answered them, see, that's the first thing he says, see that no one leads you astray. And so that's what we're going to focus on this morning. We need to pay attention to the answers to this so that we are not led astray. And of course, as we do so, a sequence of events will emerge. And there are three main areas where this danger of being led astray uh, comes in. The first is in verses 4 to 14, where we see that people can be deceived by the signs of the times. You can be deceived by the signs of the times. Second area is verses 15 to 35, where we can be deceived by confusing the destruction of the temple with the end of the age. And then the third area of deceit is that we can be deceived into carelessness about life today. We can be deceived about, into carelessness about life today. So let's just work through those things. Those are are big headings for big chunks of the scripture. But I hope it's going to be helpful to us to get a kind of helicopter view of this chapter. First thing then. We need to be careful not to be deceived by the signs of the times. Now there's no doubt in my mind that in verse 2 where Jesus talks about the destruction of the temple. He means that to be taken literally. That there will be a physical destruction of the temple. And that did in fact happen. In AD 70, after the the Jewish-Roman War, the the Romans came to Jerusalem, destroyed the city, and destroyed the temple. And so all that you have today is actually just the kind of, you know, the foundations, the platform, the west, the, the great wall, the wailing wall that you see. That's not the temple itself. That's just the the foundations of the complex and the temple was on top of that and so the temple was in fact destroyed so that gives us one with the benefit of hindsight that gives us one time marker that in 40 years or so this disaster is going to happen but there's another time marker and that's in verse 14 where Jesus says let me where Jesus said, uh, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So you've got these two things, destruction of the temple, and then the end coming. And, and between those, certain, those two time markers, 
certain things are going to be happening. And so verses 6 and 7. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. I, I know a guy who was converted by reading that. And the, on a Saturday and on the Sunday he went to church, got converted. Because he suddenly thought, as he looked around uh, the world, and this was in I don't know, the, the, the late 1970s. And everybody was thinking about the nuclear bomb and stuff like that. And uh, he was looking around the world and all the tensions of the Cold War and everything. And he thought, there are wars and rumors of wars, there are plagues and pestilences, and I've got to pay attention to this. And he went to church and got converted that following day. So uh, this has a particular uh, resonance for me as, as I read this. But what we need to understand is, uh, what is, what does the writer, what does Jesus mean by uh, the birth pains? And here's one, where, uh, an area where, we, where people will begin to start getting a little bit mixed up. Because uh, they'll think of birth pains, they'll think of pregnancy, and they'll think of the birth pains as being the very last bit of the pregnancy. And so they think of the events that are being described here as at the very end, near before the end of the age. But I want to challenge that view this morning, that that's not how Jesus is using this notion of birth pains. In fact, it's not an apostolic way of using this notion of birth pains. You may think of another place where uh, the Apostle Paul speaks of birth pains. He speaks of it in... Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 22. And uh, he speaks of creation. He says, we, we know that the, the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So, before Paul, creation has been groaning with the pains of childbirth. And then Jesus talks about the pains of childbirth. Between these two time markers. So I want to put it to you that this whole period from Jesus' first coming to his second coming is that period of pains, birth pains, suffering, trial, famine, wars, rumors of wars. You look through the whole of history, you see there's constant wars, constant fighting, nations rising up against nations. Nothing particularly unusual about what's happening today. That whole period, therefore, is taken up with the pains of childbirth. There's nothing that limits, and nothing in the text here that actually limits those pains to the very end of the time between Jesus' first coming and second coming. It's the whole thing. So, this has implications for us as Christians, I think. That one of the phenomena that Christians will experience is the danger of people claiming to be Christ or something similar during all the trials and convulsions that 
history throws up. You're always going to get people throwing themselves up forward and saying, I'm the Christ, or he's the Christ, or somebody's the Christ. Somebody's worth following in this world. With all the disaster in the world, you need to follow this person. And they're going to claim that because all these bad things are happening, he has got the answers. And you need to follow him, or her, for that matter. And these false Christs, they stoke up fears. You know, it's an interesting period of this, uh, this age. The conspiracy theories are rampant. People are just so open to crazy, unfounded ideas. I'm not going to all of that. And I don't want to upset anybody. But, you know, it's true, isn't it? I think it's true. We seem to be in a particular period where it's, people are susceptible to this. And it is a, these are particularly evangelical problems. Can I put it that way? These are particularly evangelical problems. We expect Jesus to come back one day. But that expectation should not turn into gullibility about where you listen to any voice that makes such claims. I do this occasionally. I turn on Trinity Broadcasting Network. Partly for fun. I want to see what's going on. I don't recommend it. I certainly do not recommend it. Because it's full of these people spending all their time not interpreting scripture but trying to make scripture fit the events that they think are significant. And not only that, they're trying to sell you stuff as well like big barrels of servings of soup. I remember watching Jim Backer uh, saying, Christ is coming again, therefore you need to buy this soup <laughs> and hide it in your shed and, you know, and be ready for when Christ comes again and all the tribulations are coming. Uh, well, you know, the tribulations are here. And maybe you should buy soup. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> maybe you should. But let's not get carried away with this. You know, people try and tell, sell you stuff, you should always have the, you know, the alarm bells ringing. Christian history, you see, is littered with people being deceived by charismatic figures supposedly interpreting the signs of the times and telling you that you need to be following them. And it's very tempting when you see tribulation around you. Maybe you're personally experiencing tribulation. Um, Christians will always face trials, won't they? Because they're Christians, they will always face opposition. You you might face it in your work. We might face it as a church, meeting in a school. Maybe one day we will. But we'll face it. We'll face it in the media. We'll face it in all kinds of places. And that's a temptation. Some will get discouraged by that. Some will fall away. Some will grow cold in their love for the Lord Jesus Christ because life gets so hard. But the warning is here. Those who endure to the end will be saved. Not those who fall away. Those who endure to the end will be saved. The true church 
will continue in its basic mission to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom right up to the end. So when Jesus gives his great commission in Matthew 28, that's what we do. Come whatever, come what may. We keep preaching the gospel. We keep proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God. We keep telling people about the love of God in Christ Jesus. And if you come to him, you can have your sins forgiven. And you can know eternal life. We keep doing that, regardless of what we are going through. Preaching the word faithfully. Evangelizing neighborhoods. Concerned about missions to other cultures. We keep that the focus of what we're doing. That's what Jesus uh, reminds us of in verse 14. So do not be deceived by the signs of the times. Here's the second thing. Do not be confused about the two events. And the two events are the desecration of the temple and the end of the age. Don't get confused about those two things. Uh, Verse 15, Jesus uh, speaks about this uh, abomination of desolation. Uh, That's a controversial term. And where does it come from? Well, it comes from the book of Daniel, and he helpfully tells us that here. And he says, let the reader understand. Pay attention. Go and look at it. Look it up. See what it says. And this phrase, abomination that causes desolation, comes up in Daniel chapter 11, 31, and Daniel 12, verse 11. And he uses other places, in other places it talks about the abomination uh, in various ways. And those, prof- those verses from Daniel are prophecies about future events. And all of them, both of them, can be related to the profanation of the temple, the profaning of the temple, or the desecration of the temple. Now, Daniel 11, for example, seems particularly concerned about the life of Antiochus Epiphanes, who was the the emperor of the Seleucid Empire, which was a breakaway empire from the Roman Empire during its uh, uh, convulsive period um, before Christ. And he was emperor up to 167 BC. And one of the things that Antiochus Epiphanes did, and he was a brutal person, was that he erected an altar to Zeus over the altar, over the altar in the temple in Jerusalem and, of, and uh, sacrificed pigs on it in 168 uh, BC. And so it's a, a desecration of the temple. And there have been other abominations. Uh, Caligula uh, in 37 to 41 AD, he was emperor, uh, ordered a statue of himself to be placed in the same place uh, that people might worship him instead of the one true and living God. In AD 68, Jewish zealots, this is during the Roman Jewish War, uh, Jewish zealots committed atrocities in the temple and installed a clown, a literal clown, called Fanny as a high priest. Now the point is this. That any act of desecration of the temple is an abomination that causes desolation. And the ultimate one was the destruction of the temple by the Romans in AD 70. And so Jesus is warning his disciples 
that this is going to happen, but that it is not the end of the age. And so this is not a time, you know, when the temple is being destroyed, that will not be a time where you stand around looking to welcome Jesus coming. You know, some people are like that. Um, I heard a story of, uh, and it has to be the United States, I'm sorry. Um, but I've heard a story of people selling tickets on mountains for Jesus when he comes back. Because they seem to know exactly when he was going to come back so you can get a ticket. Uh, I'm sure that's all gone away now, but it, you know, there have been times when people have done that. And Jesus is warning that when that temple is destroyed, that will be a time to flee, a time to scatter. And of course the Jews were scattered and the Christians were scattered in AD 70. And it's interesting because that, that does show us that there is a time to uh, to flee under persecution. It's not always right to stand under persecution. Sometimes it's right to flee. You think of the Apostle Paul, uh, only had three Sabbath days in Thessalonica, and uh, before long a mob had grown up and he had to escape. Uh, he had to flee because of the dangers. It's sometimes right to, to flee the, the horrors that uh, face you. And who dares judge a Christian for doing that? There are many parts of the world where there's suffering going on, where Christians are fleeing their homes and uh, having their homes burnt down and people killed and they're fleeing and go to, going for sanctuary somewhere else. Sometimes it's the right thing to do. And again, during that time, false Christs are going to arise. And even going to perform miracles, you see verse 24, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead people astray, if possible, even the elect. Now, we're not going to believe any of that. We're not to, not to believe any of that. Why? Because when Christ comes again, there will be nowhere to flee. Because when he comes... He will be seen by everyone. There will be the signs for everyone. Verse 27. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Verse 30. They will, uh, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and glory. You know, you're not, it's going to be unmistakable. And everybody will see it. Uh, and there will be no discussion about it because it will be clear what's happening. And it's interesting that Jesus uses this uh, perhaps unpalatable illustration of this. Verse 28, wherever the corpse is, uh, there the vultures will gather. What's he getting at there? Well, uh, you know, if you're a farmer and you've got sheep out in the hills in, I don't know, Scotland, say, and uh, a sheep dies... Um, how are you going to find the sheep? You, know, you notice it's missing, but you need to go and find the corpse. And uh, how are you going to find it? Well, one thing you can do is you can look for the, you know, the birds that are floating around going to eat it. <laughs> you know, so the vultures, everybody can see them because they're up in the sky. And this is the kind of thing that Jesus is talking about for his coming. Everybody's going to see Jesus Christ coming again. They, it will be unmistakable. So I say again that the signs of this coming of Jesus 
are not wars, or not rumors of wars, or um, famines and earthquakes. All these are usual things that are going to happen in history. But the signs that mark Jesus' coming will be unmistakable. There will be no discussion about it. Verse 29, there will be cosmic convulsions. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, those days between Christ's first and second coming, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear the sign in the heaven. There are going to be those convulsions. Um, Then Christ will appear in heaven, verse 30. Uh, Then there will be a gathering of the elect to him, verse 31. And this is all entirely consistent with the description that Paul gives in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where he speaks about the return of Jesus Christ and the resurrection happening. And we'll we'll meet with him in the air and be united with him. And so this wonderful coming will happen. Let me uh, just spend a few moments on verse 34. Uh, This is the spanner in the works. What I just said for some people. Um, verse 34, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. So a bit of a spanner in the works. All these things, this generation, does that mean Jesus anticipated uh, the coming, his second coming within this generation? In other words, in the lifetimes of these people then living. Uh, many people have thought that and then thought, well, Jesus was obviously wrong. Well, we can't go down that route. We can't assume that Jesus is wrong. We must assume that our interpretation is not right. It's true, likely true, that this generation really is that generation of people then living when Jesus was speaking. So the question then is, what does he mean by all these things? And can I suggest to you that Jesus has a restricted view of all these things all these things. <clears throat> if you look back to verse 3, uh, you'll see that Jesus, uh, the disciples are talking about these things. Tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of the coming. Now, these things is obviously referring to the destruction of the temple. So, my suggestion to you and the suggestion of others is that when Jesus comes to verse 34, when he's talking about these things, He's reverting back to talking about the destruction of the temple. These things will happen in the time of this generation. So maybe that's not satisfactory for you. You might want to ask me about that afterwards. Do feel free to come back to me about that. Well, let's move on to the final warning. Uh, Deceived. The warning not to be deceived into carelessness in life. And from verse 36 to the end, Jesus is drawing our attention to a phenomenon that can occur, especially as more and more time passes by from the destruction of the temple. And the phenomenon is this, that we believe, we begin to believe, that maybe Jesus is not coming back. At least not now. Maybe not in my lifetime. Maybe not. So, we become a bit lazy, we become a bit sloppy about the Christian life and the sense of expectation that Christ will come. But here's the thing. Christ tells us quite clearly he's going to come unexpectedly. He'll suddenly appear. 
He could appear in the next 30 seconds. And it will be sudden and unmistakable. And that's a concern. You need to be ready. We need to be ready for that. And the illustration of that is Noah. You may know the story of Noah. So Noah is told that a flood, a flood is coming. It's going to wipe out the earth. God is, uh, doesn't want to contend any longer with uh, humanity and is it rebelliousness and corruptness um, and the violence of society and so on. And he says to Noah, build an ark because I'm going to build a flood. And so Noah, being obedient he and faithful he, starts to build the ark. And uh, meanwhile, everybody else is just carrying on with their life as normal. Maybe even coming to Noah and laughing at him, saying, what are you doing? <laughs> there's no chance there's going to be a flood. But then one day it came. And you don't have to look too far in the news to realize just how quickly <coughs> floods can take hold and wash people away. We've seen it in Morocco, uh, in Libya, just in the last couple of weeks. But whenever you get a downpour into the mountains, then it all gathers in the valleys and then it rushes down. And suddenly it all comes. And the same is true of the coming of the Son of Man. People can go about their lives as normal. They can laugh at Christians for uh, paying attention to Jesus Christ and paying attention to the fact that he's coming again. And they laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh and then suddenly one day he's going to come. And there'll be no more laughing the tears, gnashing of teeth, judgment. Now when's this going to happen? Well, we don't know. And not even Jesus, the Son of Man, knew. Only the Father knows the date. That raises all kinds of Christological issues, which I'm not going to go into. Um, but take it from Jesus. He doesn't know when he's going to come. And then one day there's going to be a great division. So verse 40. When two men are, uh, then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, to the, uh, taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill and one will be taken and one left. There's going to be a great division. Of course this is all about the judgment that's coming. This is not, it's not about rapture. Not, you know, rapture is going to come at some point. But this is not talking about the rapture. It's talking about separating and in verse, chapter 25, he's going to be more explicit about that. He's going to talk about she- separating the sheep from the goats. You know what he means by goats. Sheep are the believers. The goats are the people who look like believers, but not. And they've got lazy and sloppy and fallen away. They might actually be in church. There's going to be a great division It's all about the final judgment. See, Noah tells us that this is about the judgment. Not not about some strange, rapturous experience. Now the warning is clear. How easy it is for us to become deceived into carelessness about the Christian life. You begin to believe that the judgment is never going to happen to you. And that it will never come. But friends, we need to be ready for the coming of Jesus every day. Every day. Jesus could come at any moment. 
We need to be ready for him. How do we do that? We keep doing the things that he's told us to do. To make disciples. To learn from his word. To proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Just keep doing it. Press on. The great John Wesley, who differs with us in various ways, but you know, nobody can doubt his commitment to Christ. He said, he was once asked, what would he do if he knew Jesus would return the same time next, the next day? You know, what would you do? If you knew Jesus was coming at 10 past 12 tomorrow, what would you be doing between now and then? And John Wesley asked, answered this. He said, I would go to bed and go to sleep and wake up in the morning and go on with my work. For I would want him to find me doing what he had appointed. I've had another, another version of that story is that he got his diary out and said, well, I'll be preaching it. So it's in such a place and such a, such a, at 10 o'clock and at 12 o'clock will be this place. Because he, he said, I've just got to keep doing the work that God has called me to do. And Jesus will come. Brothers and sisters, that's what we should be doing. Doing the work that God has called us to do. Regardless, keep doing it. Our great challenge, isn't it, is to be a missionary people who reach out with the gospel of Jesus Christ and proclaim the gospel of his grace and keep doing it regardless. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this uh, passage that teaches us many difficult things and we may differ in some matters, but Lord, help us to be clear in the central teaching that we should not be deceived, and that we should be focused on the kingdom and proclaiming it to all who will hear it. So Lord, help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.